if you're saying this is a lens and you keep showing people it and you keep showing people it and eventually you feign that it's a lens, what you're actually doing is you're making this the lens by which you want to view society. And that is ultimately the problem I would have with any of these perspectives. Welcome. You're listening to Armchair Politics, where two guys try to discuss and understand current topics in politics and culture. We are your hosts. I am Tyler. And I'm Jared. And last week we talked about extremism in politics. Uh, but this episode, we were, we're going to take a focus on critical thinking and viewing politics through specific lenses. And uh, I think we can let you take it away. I think you had a couple of things you wanted to start off with and we'll, we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of different uh, political ideologies theories, various things flying around, even in the mainstream media. Obviously, we talked about uh, critical race theory a bit last time when we were talking about extremism. But as mentioned before, you'll hear things like Marxism and other types of things thrown out, which to the average person can sound just as kind of slanderous without having any necessarily strong meaning on what those things actually stand for. So I think one of the things to start off with, with talking about was to talk about kind of enlightenment versus post-enlightenment or modernism versus post-modernism when you're looking at um, predominant philosophical theories that sometimes drive what people believe in. When you're looking at modernism, you're looking at a lot of the stuff that came out of the Enlightenment. This would include a lot of different things from individuals like John Locke, whom um, Jefferson was basically plagiarizing, to be honest, in the Declaration of Independence, talking about things like all men being created equal, talking about the idea that every individual has a divine spark given in them, appointed by God because they were created in his image. So things like that. The, ultimately, the idea with enlightenment is it brought about liberal principles. And I don't mean liberal in the sense that you might commonly hear the word liberal to just mean left. Liberal as in strong beliefs about the individual being considered sacred and being the purpose um, for the state's existence. The, the purpose of the state and the purpose of um, any power that is given to the state would be to protect that of the individual. Well, after that, after the Enlightenment era, once you get into postmodernism, you start getting into a lot more theories that end up being a lot more collectivistic. You end up getting into things like Marxism, which basically states that uh, the whole world, uh, the whole indust in industrialized nations of the West can kind of be viewed through the lens of the proletariat versus the bourgeoisie. So you have the uh, the class struggle, that is the primary lens by which the Marxists are going to view the world. Yep. You might have things like people who call themselves race realists who try to look through the world through the lens of race as well, but they instead will look through it and through the lens of being like, well, white people are the ones who have caused a lot of the great within the world, and I don't know about the what the minorities are doing. And so those individuals who are wrong in their thinking are also viewing things through a collectivistic lens that stems back to fascist ideas and even even something like eugenics, which at a time in the United States was considered a legitimate academic study, this idea that there were certain people who had good genes and certain others who didn't. And it all stemmed from a, a type of social Darwinism that ended up 
being quite popular, even even popularized by individuals like Woodrow Wilson, you know, the United States president who used to be, I believe, the president of Yale. Also individuals like Margaret Sanger, who ended up leading, um, ended up creating um, Planned Parenthood as well. Mm-hmm. So there are certain academic fields of study that- They were pushing at, policies yeah, with that, specifically yes. eugenics, which is scary to think about for sure. Yep. And so even at their time, it would have been considered just a lens, just a way to view the world and look at the mm-hmm. world. But it was very strongly collectivistic. It wasn't in, it was not interested with the rights of the individual, but was rather interested of promulgating the collective and pushing that collective forward. So what's the best way to look at when we, we take these lenses and we, when we view politics through these lenses? How can we best make judgments of what might might be true or what how do how do we know what's true or false what how should we view this i think critical thinking is not taught enough in schools and what the best what's the best way to engage or create a model for critical thinking uh jordan peterson has often said that writing is the best way to um, foster some critical thinking which is you know when you think about it all the greatest thought leaders or people like when you talk about Socrates or a lot of the people who've written these lengthy books, whether they're published or they had their own journals, like they did it to think about their thoughts, right? I do think that's a great way to do it. Personally, I think asking questions is the best way to critically think. So those things like starting with what? So an example here, and I'll just use CRT as an example since it's been a topic of discussion in the political landscape for a while now. Um, When you ask what, so explain what CRT actually is, what is it trying to solve, what is its purpose, right? Those are great questions to start with. And then after that, you can establish, after you establish the what, you can ask the why. Why would you want to teach this? Why is this relevant today? And then after you figure those things out, you can ask how. So how do you know that this is relevant or that the what, how do you know that this is true? Um, data, do you have a data evidence, things like that. How might your perspective be different in this case from others? So you can view, try to take a different point of view or read opposing pieces, books, articles, literature, that kind of thing. And uh, how can we solve this problem if it is an actual problem? So. And I'm not just talking about CRT, but that could be anything, right? The, those That's just a lens in which, to, or, a, or a format uh, of critical thinking to view anything. Like, we should view all things through this um, to try to find whatever the truth might be or to get as close to it as possible, right? Because there's a lot of things, unfortunately, politics, and I know you and I talked about this a little bit before, it's not a specific science. You can't prove everything. It's more of a pseudoscience. It's almost like psychology in a sense where not everything in psychology is able to be proved and we have like surveys which aren't 100 percent either but it's close like you said close to what we can get to there isn't always hard line data we can rely on right so one of the fascinating things that came out of the enlightenment was this idea that the world could be measured that you could actually look at the world and study it whether that be in the field of uh, physics chemistry, um, even even certain fields of philosophy, granted you're using reason usually instead of empiricism, or psychology, what, what have you. There's this idea that if you looked at the world and you were able to use a type of method or formula, usually that would either be the scientific method um, when you're talking about empiricism or the Socratic method if you're talking about uh, reason, 
If you follow those things and you follow cohesion, and if you follow consistency, you can discover things about the world. The world can be known to us. A lot of this stemmed from the idea that the um, everything that was in place in the world was made by a creator. It was made with some type of rule in mind. And so the understanding to that was if there was an intelligent mind behind the creation of the universe, then things had to be cohesive and make sense. And so that is a lot of what led to enlightenment ideals. Now, when you skip forward into many other, many of these other theories, postmodernist ideals, you will find that they kind of get rid of that model. So one of the things, as far as I am aware of, that CRT makes the claim about is it is not as interested, it is not so interested in understanding how their theory makes sense in regards to scientific models or in regards to how we understand things psychologically now. It is very interested in narrative and storytelling. I am emotion. not. Well, yeah, and potentially emotion. Um, even though they probably wouldn't necessarily say that, but mm -hmm. <laughs> potentially emotion. But it is not as interested in basically setting up a study and then following the facts of that study and then making the, you know, find, uh, finding the results, whether you like them or not. You know, there's many different times throughout, uh, I'm trying to think of a famous one. There's many different times, I'm sure, throughout um, people using the scientific method where they went in thinking that one thing was going to be true, but then they ended up finding the opposite. And I'm sure many people weren't happy about that, mm -hmm. but that's just the fact of how it is. It was definitely obviously the case that it was a big hubbub when Darwin ended up publishing The Origin of Species for a lot of people who viewed the Bible as a literal and scientific translation of the beginning of the world being that of seven days. But once they started to look into things deeper through theories of evolution, found out, well, there's a lot of conflict there. And for any scientists who were Christian or fundamentally fundamentalist Christian, I'm sure that was very difficult for them to deal with. And so you can find a plethora of examples of people doing scientific studies, trying to find one thing and then maybe finding the other. But that's that's why it's a valuable method to have. That's why we have the scientific method. That's why we do double blind studies in psychology. That's why we have all these various means is to try to cut out the bias. It's try to cut out the other variables so that we can actually find out what is valid and what is reliable, what can be replicated over and over again in studies and also which factors can be connected to have some type of causal relationship. And that's important, but it seems like in many postmodern type of theories and ideals, which break everything down into power dynamics or break everything down into just um, everything being completely and utterly subjective, that there is less interest in following these types of ways of discovering truth. Right. And I don't think, I think one of the things that's happening today with like CRT, you look at both sides and it's unfortunate because politics is almost like a zero sum game. Sometimes it's like a team, team sport. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mentioned this before, but you have the Democrats who are going, or some, some Democrats were like CRT is this, and this is exactly what it is. And some of the uh, Democrats are like, no, that's not actually what it is. It's this. And then Republicans are like, oh my God, like we can't obviously teach this in schools. Like we're going to ban this, which to me is like, we get into this weird, area where it's like well are we gonna are we stepping on bounds of the first amendment and 
but and then you ask then this is where it comes where critical thinking comes in you're like well what is actually crt what are they trying to do and there's not even a consensus from a lot of people on the left from what crt actually is when you when you look at some of these people who actually have some of these tenets well you get people like that wrote white fragility which is just to me is absolutely insane but some of these some of these tenants that they have not they don't all agree on so you can't even create a how how do you create a an actual thought process to implement it or not implement it or teach it when no one agrees of what it actually is uh, and there's probably always the case too where since this has grown so popular in the like political sphere and it's on the news constantly now where you hear about crt every other day um, that there are people jumping on that have bad intentions that are trying to use it to push certain things like maybe some people that are mark that have marxist ideals or communistic um, thought processes that are like hey this is like a good vehicle for my ideals so i can use its drive that way and then if some people who are actually trying to do some good maybe you know because critical theory has been baked in law for a while before this was ever a thing and it's just another lens like you said to view things through so maybe it was just another lens to view things through and to teach people to um because it, learning is all about learning different perspectives and different things like even Karl Marx you know w- when you learn about him it's it's good to understand it to to know what things are good or bad about it uh, and that's where critical thinking comes in again and unfortunately politics you know it, it doesn't always help these situations because we have it's not a uh, proportional representation there's no like 10% of of libertarians get this portion and 40% of Republicans, you know, it's all, it's like 51% you, you rule that cert, that party rules like Democrats, you know, have the majority now. So most things that they want to push through are getting pushed through. Uh, and because of that, if you're politically aligned with one party or the other, and you don't all your ideals or values don't always align with that political party, it's more tribalistic where they'll just kick you out. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, and that's sidestepping a little bit, but I think it's important to think about politics in this way. So you don't fall into that trap like that's a that's a bias that you can have like you fall into this one tribe or not like you want to think critically about things you want to understand the world not through the lens of like you said this collective party like you don't you're people are more nuanced than that like you don't have all these things that are the same about everything that's why when people always try to bucket groups of people together by race or anything like by race is so any anything really but i always have the problem with race because i don't want to go back to segregation like i just think it's crazy but anytime you view things as a group it just gets weird i just think it's a bad way to look at the world Mm -hmm. yeah i would definitely say it's a bad way to look at the world uh one of the things that's been said before is that politics is the art of compromise and to a certain degree i do agree with that there are certain things that you have to learn to compromise in in politics just like you talked about before you know if you find yourself to be a more if you find yourself to be a more libertarian right-leaning person and you think well you know i don't like a lot of the stuff the republicans are doing but at least they're standing against x y and z and this other party seems like they're for everything I hate, I guess I'll vote for Republicans because realistically there's a two-party system and I have to make a choice. Right. And for somebody who says that, I say fine. That's re- that's reasonable. Also for somebody who says I don't want to compromise on that and I'm going to vote for however I want, I'm going to vote with my full conscience, I also think that's fine too. Here's the one area though where if you're using the saying politics is the art of compromise, 
you run into a lot of problems. So if you have two parties in the United States and one is saying, I think that we should kill, mm, we should kill 100% of, you know, let's just say people over 60. Why not? I'll pick on old people today. Let's say <laughs> that we should kill 100% of people over 60 because they're just useless at that point. You know, whatever, just get rid of them. And then you have another party that's like, no, not all of them. Let's just kill half of them. Let's kill 50%. Thanos snap. <laughs> that's Thanos <laughs> snap half of them. So if you get into that situation, I would hope that most people, you know, or I would at least hope that I would be like, I'm not voting for either of these because why should I be okay with just killing 50%? That's, that's absurd. Hopefully I wouldn't be okay with either. And I would say both are immorally wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't mean that there aren't certain interesting philosophical situations you can't get into individually, like the, what is it, the trolley cart dilemma where you have one people, one person lying on the bridge and if you pull the lever, um, or one person on one side of, a, of the rails, another person on, um, or like five people on another side of the rails, right. the train's going to head toward the five people if you pull the lever and it only hits one. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just saying if you have two political parties, they're standing for something evil and wrong then hopefully you're not going to compromise on that. There are areas where you have to say no and you can't just compromise because if you compromise on things that are big, huge moral dilemmas, then you're just going to find yourself riding closer and closer to something you don't like and that's going to become more and more destructive. And what I do think is that the danger of collectivism and really I feel like what is the problem with many of these different ideologies and theories and any form of extremism that I find just completely deplorable is a collectivistic nature behind it. Because when you start thinking about things collectively, you can start making justification for taking things out individually. If you start saying, well, collectively, what we need to care about is we need to care about this thing. You know, maybe you say collectively as a whole, we need to make sure that we are strong. We need to make sure, and this would be like a extreme right wing view, but we need to make sure that we are very strong and fit. And actually, without ruining too much, um, there is a comic that just recently came out that talks about an individual called Omni-Man. It's a superhero comic. I think it's called Unbreakable. And this hero called Omni-Man comes from this world where everybody to make a stronger group of people fought to the death. And they fought to the death so that only the strong would survive at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And that was a strong collectivistic thinking because if the strong live, then they can have kids that are strong too and they're going to be strong as overall as a species. And this led to the death of thousands if not millions on his planet. But that's because they justified the death of the weak. You know, I'm doing air quotes. You mm-hmm. probably can't see me, obviously, if you're listening. But they justified that and they said that's okay. But me coming from an idea that the individual should be considered sacred that we should be protecting the individual i think that's abhorrent and wrong and i think most people today would agree with me on that too yeah you know the interesting about so when we talk about critically thinking and and using different mental models to try to how you view the world it's interesting that you when you we talk about politics you have to consider that in politics there rarely is a defined right or wrong like it's not that easy to find what is right and wrong and there is no one right way to do anything there is usually lots of ways to do something, but there, there sometimes is better. There are better ways and worse ways to do something. It's just mm-hmm. we often don't have the data to support that or 
we don't have the information needed to make those judgments. It's all kind of either opinion or based on feeling how you feel about the situation, right? It's kind of what it comes down to sometimes in politics. So that's why all these, you have these political discourse and this discussions because a lot of this stuff is not based in with, with reliable data. Yeah. And I think it's, it is 100% the case that when you're looking at politics, hopefully if you're coming into politics as you're coming into politics first as a person who has some sense of where they stand morally that has principles mm -hmm. right now politics i will agree i think there are a lot of people who look at politics especially people who have strong morals and principles and say yuck i wouldn't do that that's disgusting only evil people would be in it would be involved in politics and i definitely think without a doubt that politics makes your hands dirty mm -hmm. it just does as a person that is that is undeniably true but I have principles, I have things I would stand by. Generally speaking, I would be against certain things. I would be generally speaking um, against war. But, you know, honestly, as a politician, if I was in a situation where I was told, you know, we have an opportunity to take out um, this enemy general and this enemy general has led to, you know, killed American soldiers and killed American civilians, whatever the case is, and they're gonna kill more, should we take them out? Yeah. Yeah, I, and I'm against I'm against killing if we don't have to kill. I'm against any type of violence in general, but you, we are faced with tough decisions in the world. And so the truth of the matter is, you're right. Sometimes in politics, there is no right or wrong. There is just better or worse. And sometimes you don't even know what the answer to that is going to be, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's let's jump into a little bit of, let's say, fake or a uh, non or truth news i guess i don't i don't want to use the term fake news because it's so like i feel like it's tainted now because <laughs> yeah. you know trump <laughs> i don't want you to get the wrong idea what i'm what i'm trying to say is what 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 news is reliable how do you understand because that's a, another lens which we view politics through is like you have this you have mass media you have individual contributors to media you have the, a lot of podcasts that are now focused on just talking about politics like ours mm-hmm Right, or we're just having a conversation, hopefully, to understand the world. But how do you know what is true and what's not true, or how do you get a good, reliable source of information? Because there's a lot of information out there that just isn't true, or you can get the wrong ideas from. Right? I, I can tell you some of the things that I use, and um, I don't know if you have some tactics or things you use. Uh, also, so some of the things I use when I'm reviewing news type sources online are I have plugins or add-ins into Chrome, which are called NewsGuard and Bias Finder. Now, I want to preface this. Are they 100% trustworthy as well? No. <laughs> there are still, you know, people are voting on these, so it's it's more popular. It's like people generally are saying, what do you feel about this news source? Do you feel it's reliable? And it's ranked, right? Same with Bias Finder. So by, what Bias Finder does is it tells you if it's left-leaning, right-leaning, libertarian in the center, whatever the news source is. And that's only helpful to understand where they are coming from right it's not because they're if they're left-leaning or you just don't read it if you are on the right that's not the point the point is like so you understand where their biases might lie that's a good lens to look how to how to view information the same with newsguard so the way that works is it tells you it gives you a green check mark or a red x or depending on how reliable they are with information so how they view things through credibility and transparency like how credible is this source how transparent are they examples of this for credibility would be like does it do they are they reputable about publishing false co content I, I meant that in do they publish false content mm. regularly yes or no uh do they 
correct or clarify errors if they find it like that's important do they handle differences between news and opinions responsibly like do you mark an article an opinion piece or a news piece because that's important i think people don't actually know that that approach politics right away too and i didn't either necessarily like if something is an opinion piece or not marked clearly like you, if you read that you might assume that it's truth right that's important for a news story to be marked uh, as and then as far as for transparency uh, do they disclose how they're financed or who owns them like those are important things to think about do they clearly label advertisements when there's advertisements because sometimes news articles can be advertisements for certain things like you don't you don't want to read a news article about let's say here's a here's an example if uh someone is a news media outlet and they publish something about let's say climate change and you have a company that's really heavily invested in them that is maybe in the oil industry well they're probably going to be against renewable energy and things like that so if you do a news article about how reliable clean energy is they might be a little biased in how they report their information so that's good to know uh, so those are things that i used to try to view through what a lens to view information through or how it's you're being received receiving this information because it's important to understand the information that you are ingesting and how you how that's all filtered through all of the lenses in which they're producing it through yeah uh, I think I think that's a definitely definitely a good way with the uh, um, resources that we have available to kind of check out which way uh, things lean. As I talked about earlier, for myself, I think it's good that people come in to political views and they come into them with a preset uh, um, a preset stance, a moral stance, or principles, or whatever that might be. I myself know that first and foremost, in terms of my hierarchy of what I think is right and wrong, and this is actually where I think most things are messed up to be frank and to put all my cards on the table. I think that's what's ha what has happened recently is that politics is the new religion. I think that's definitely yeah, been the case for, sure. for a lot of people. And especially when you start looking at people who are very far left and very woke, it seems like many of the things that they're even doing seem almost to, in hilarious ways mimic what religious people might do mm -hmm. in certain instances mm -hmm. but i myself um came at politics after I, I had kind of become a christian after i had basically decided to kind of set jesus as the top priority in my life and after that i had came into politics and so once i had done that there are certain presuppositions that you have as a person who's a bible bible believing christian that you just that would not be tenable to have politically. So if somebody says, yes, I believe in the Bible and also I'm a Nazi, I'm like, well, one of the, there has there's going to be a conflict here. One of these two things is not going to survive. Right. Same thing with somebody says, and I'm I'm a Marxist. You know, it's like one of these two things is not going to live together. It's not going to be able to exist together. Exactly. So if you're somebody who comes into and you're not a religious person, but maybe you say, I've always had a very strong sense or belief that I should be left alone or that I should be able to do what I want to do. Like, mm -hmm. and so at least you're coming in with a presupposition of the strong belief of what actually many people who are libertarians would call like the non-aggression principle, which is basically this idea that if somebody has not aggressed upon you physically, then you do not have the right to aggress upon them. That is a core libertarian belief that many people kind of innately had or had from whatever source they got it and they came into politics knowing that i'm not going to break this principle because i strongly believe in that but then even after coming in with having certain principles 
um, after coming into politics and saying, here's here's what I here's what I'm not going to bend on, and here's what's kind of going to be my driving ideological force. Then I honestly do. I am a very strong proponent of the more free speech, the better. Really, I do believe that generally speaking, if people have bad ideas, then they will hang themselves with their own words. And so I tend to like to listen to various sources or read various sources. There are certain people on the left that I like to listen to on YouTube, um, and I like to listen to their takes and opinions because I find it interesting to kind of jump into that circle, get outside of my own echo chamber and yep. listen to why they believe in what they do. Generally speaking, I'll listen to it and I don't usually change my mind, but it does help me in many ways to understand what they value and where they're coming from. So somebody on the left might say something like, well, we really just need to make sure that we, why do we spend so much, one of the common things that is actually said is, why do we spend so much in the military? We shouldn't be spending so much in the military. Why aren't we taking that money in the military? And why can't we do what Denmark is doing? Why can't we do what Sweden is doing, right? Mm -hmm. This would be the argument of a person who wants a stronger safety net in the United States, especially for healthcare reasons. Right. And so they will say, why do we have to spend money on this? Why can't we just do what Denmark and Sweden is doing? And so from my perspective, I see already a hard, I already have a hard time in my mind with justifying certain taxes as I view taxes as something that the government is forcing you to do. It's forcing, forcefully taking money from you. But for somebody on the left, they're seeing it as it's a common good, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is something that if we take from somebody and they're okay and we give it to somebody else, it's a common good. And so it helps to better civilization as a whole. And so just even listening to somebody like that, it helps me to put myself in their shoes and understand why they value what they value. Generally speaking, and I think this is probably, has a lot to do with the case of it, is if you look at um, the big five and you look at agreeableness and disagreeableness, I do tend to be decently disagreeable. And somebody who's decently disagreeable is much more likely to be like, well, you know what, people need to, um, care for themselves. People need to make sure that they are doing what they can uh, to ensure that they're being good and productive in the world. And yeah, I don't have a problem with helping you out, but at the end of the day, people need to take care of their business. Or somebody who's more agreeable is like, oh, can't we just, can't we just help somebody? Can't we just do this one thing? Can't we just, you know, work together as a team to figure out this, this dilemma? And again, it's not that either one is necessarily inherently better or worse but it's more different temperaments that people tend to have. And so it is interesting to listen to people like that, to understand like where people are coming from temperamentally as well. Yeah, is there a, and correct me, I, I can't remember, in the big five, is openness one of those? Or is that kind of along the same lines of, as agreeable or disagreeable? Well, openness, openness, generally speaking, liberals and libertarians tend to be high in openness mm -hmm. and conservatives tend to be lower in openness. Openness. Right. So that's the, why I think, um, sorry to cut you off, but no, that's why ahead. I think, honestly, whenever I hear a liberal say, it is a lens, so when we're talking about CRT or anything else, right. it is a lens to view the world through, I think that's coming from a place of openness, I think in many ways, because they're saying, oh wow, cool, look at all these lenses we can view the world through. Like we have this, we have that, we have this, oh and look, we have this one here that's that's viewing the world through pretty much a racial lens. Isn't mm -hmm. that neat? Versus a conservative who's lower in openness and they might see that and be like, 
no, that seems dangerous. I don't want to look through that lens. <laughs> Who knows what I'll see? And they're just like, this seems, this just seems really, I don't, I don't even know what to make of this. Or what does that lead to? Yeah. What does that lead to versus like me who I actually understand? I do get it. When somebody says it's a lens to look at through the world, I'm like, okay, I don't have a problem with more lenses, but then from my perspective, not being somebody who's an expert in any way, shape or form, but from my perspective, when I've read about it, when I've listened to people, people debated it, I tend to look through the lens and I'm like, wow, this lens is shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, yeah. the, that's the sense I feel. It's, it's kind of, if you want to take their metaphor that it's a lens, it's kind of like if you went to the optometrist and he was basically to prescribe you glasses. And I know about this because I have glasses, so I'm an expert on this, obviously. But, um, and he was to prescribe you glasses and say, you know, when they do the test, when they say A or B, A or B, mm-hmm. and they're going through all the different lens. CRT to me, and many different postmodernist lenses, if you want to put it that way, to me, are lenses that are that are full of things that are going to give you pink eye like bacteria maybe some dog dew on it Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. like yeah it is a lens to look at things through but it's garbage Mm -hmm. and it does and it actually could give me a disease (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah that's that's how i feel when they talk about it as a lens i'm like yeah it's a lens but it's not a useful one i could also have a lens where i'm looking at the world um through the through the lens of eugenics which we talked about a little bit earlier which was this horrible idea earlier um, that was promulgated early in American history, talking about the idea that certain people who have certain genes should continue to promulgate and those who don't should stop, essentially. And so it pushed a lot of these horrible things like forced sterilization and other garbage ideas. But that is a lens to view the world through. You could do it, but it's it's trash. So not every mm-hmm. lens is equal. So don't treat them like they're equal. Right. Yeah, and I wanted to highlight a, a point you had made before, which is you make a point to listen to people on the other side, like the left. So, because that, that's an opposing view to yours, right? So, I think more people, and this is a good like highlighting under critical thinking. If you're in your mode of thinking, or you're only buying books that relate to the way that you view the world, you're just going to have this small echo chamber, or like you're always going to be locked into that mode of thinking. I think it's important, and that's why I was mentioning openness before. Is I think people who are more open to ideas and more open to hearing ideas are more often seeking the op- opposing opinion, right? That's that's a key part of the critical thinking uh, questions that I had laid out before. Is does this make sense, or what? What did was someone opposing this viewpoint think, right? And sometimes you might change your mind, sometimes you might not. But it's good to think about those things and how other people view the world. Um, but one thing when I first, because I wasn't always into politics only until recently because political discourse has just ruled every portion of our life and it's just permeated everything right but one thing that when i first approached politics that i really just despised is people often attacked the people that they thought were bad or evil rather than the ideas and that doesn't mean that there are really shitty people out there and people who have like really bad takes and bad ideas and we probably should demonize those type of people but more often than not, there are just people that have like a certain mode of thinking or a certain idea and they're like, hey, I think this is how I think about this. And you're like, and especially if you're like, oh, is, this goes for your local community or for your friends and family. If you ever have a political discussion with somebody and you immediately attack them for being stupid or like having a bad opinion and you're like, oh, you're just, you're uninformed or you just don't get it. Like you can attack their viewpoint or what they're saying as far as their take but don't attack them as a person. That's not going to help the political discourse. Like you want to, 
if we want to help each other get to the most common ground, we want to make sure that we can share information, view it critically, and then um, if they're if you think they're having a bad take, present them with some information, and then there you go. That was the one thing I, I viewed in the political landscape. You'll see this often when people have debates too. Really, the point of a debate isn't to have a, a, a really nice conversation. It's to beat the other person down and tell them that they're stupid. So I've never truly liked debates a whole lot. I don't know what you're... Yeah, you're you talking about like public forum po- debates? Yes, public yeah. forum debates. I've never, never had a, a good feeling about those because it's usually just someone having a very strict opinion about something and then just beating the other person down with it. I tend to listen to a lot more podcasts and a lot more... Uh, YouTube commentary because usually what those people do is they'll invite someone on. Most often they'll have opposing viewpoints and they'll discuss it. I mean, Joe Rogan does this a lot. Mm-hmm. Sam Harris does this a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of some other examples. There's tons of examples out there that you could have, but those are really great sources to listen to people with different opposing viewpoints and then making your own judgment on what you feel is best or what what most aligns with your values. Like you mentioned this before, if you're top of your value chain or the, where you get, uh, where you view the world from is, is the Bible and Jesus, then the, all of that is second or that's where you get your values from. Then everything is secondary. And some of those things are core to what you believe. Mm-hmm. Personally, that's not the top of mind because I'm not a very religious person, but I still have this foundational value system, which I use to make judgment calls on certain things. One lens to view this through, I guess, is um, abortion. So someone who is very religious, not necessarily you, what I'm just mm-hmm. saying in general, uh, might have a different viewpoint on abortion than myself or someone who isn't very religious, right? And I'm not saying, I'm not making judge, jumping to conclusions on what I might think about that because we can talk about that in a different podcast, right. whole different discussion. But that's a good example on you know how value systems might be different and how lenses of different um, political stances might be different. Right. Well, you brought up abortion. I think that's even a, uh, an interesting one in the sense that there are a lot of people who are you know, whatever you want to call them, classically liberal, libertarian, and whatever you want to frame it. But people who, generally speaking, are very strong about the belief of the individual, again, being the, the thing that the government is supposed to serve. Right. Mm-hmm. But you will get a variety of those people. Yeah. Who. um can range anywhere from pro-life to pro-choice depending on what their belief is when life starts. Because if everybody's believing the idea that the role of government is to protect life, for life, liberty, and the you know pursuit of happiness, if you're looking at the Declaration of Independence, yes, then it becomes the question of what is life? And obviously some people who are individualistic would say, well, life starts at conception, or at least that's the safest place I feel like I would say it starts at. And other people would say, well, life starts, you know, some people would argue after heartbeat, some people would argue after you get brainwaves, some people mm-hmm. would argue after three months, or some people would argue not until conception. Yeah, I've and even so- heard some people say that they're morally, they feel that uh, abortion at a certain stage is un like it's not morally acceptable mm-hmm. but since the government you can't morally make that distinction and force it upon a bunch of people they don't want to use the heavy hammer of of uh, the federal government to make that decision they're going to opt for pro-choice fully mm-hmm. in all of that encompasses because they don't want to make force their moral uh, though that's a more left take on yeah. that but i no, that's that is interesting because honestly, it is it is probably the opposite of mine to be frank. Like right. mine, no, yeah, mine yeah. is I'd much more err on the side of saying, well, life starts at conception, just because right. that's where I feel like the safest place to say it would start at. Um, but again, I think there's there's honestly a fair debate to be had about that. I know it's obviously you're talking about human lives, so it's obviously a very mm-hmm. contentious argument. But again, 
getting back to the topic at hand, it is about the lens. It is about yep. the lens in which you're viewing through the world. And the truth of the matter is, and here's what I think is a good thing to end this on. The truth of the matter is we can say that there are various different lenses to view the world. And that is true. And I actually think that's a healthy thing to have to be able to view the world through different perspectives, understanding that the world doesn't revolve just around your primary lens, but also you can put on um, other people's lenses and kind of try to see and perceive things through how they're seeing it. I think that's good, valuable, and important. But here's the thing. Everybody has a primary lens through which they view the world. They have a lens that they that is their main understanding of how the world operates and works. And if you say that something that is ultimately, if you take a lens that ultimately does not espouse any objective truth claims that just says everything is power, that just says we should just look at the world through power dynamics between class or race or whatever, guide you want to pick and it's collectivistic and if you're saying this is a lens and you keep showing people it and you keep showing people it and eventually you feign that it's a lens what you're actually doing is you're making this the lens by which you want to view society and that is ultimately the problem i would have with any of these perspectives it's the fact that you're not just using it to say here's an interesting way to look at the world you and when i say you i'm talking about certain extremists mm -hmm. are using this lens and saying this is the way to view the world. This is the way that we're gonna have to look at everything and how we're gonna have to change and everything, how we're gonna have to change everything. And you might now say, because it's not very popular, you might at this moment, at this time say, well, it's just one way to look at it. But I get the sense, and I think many other people get the sense that what is actually happening is they're trying to boil the frog slowly, like we talked about. They're right. trying to basically be like, oh, just look, isn't this neat? Isn't this cool? Until eventually they get to the point where like, no, this is it. This is all there is. This is the most important thing that you can see. And if you're not looking through this lens, then you are a horrible person. And that is the fear that a lot of people have who are skeptical of these the power games and the and the the denial of objective truth that these people are doing yep and i think a healthy skepticism of anything regarding politics is is necessary i think and as we move forward um you know whether it's we're looking at especially with extremes like we talked about in the last podcast the left or the right you have to have to make sure that you're critically thinking about the information that passes through your lens every day or you're just your person um, whether that's, you know, through news or articles or people just talking to you about politics, you have to question things like that's important. So we'll end it there. And hopefully you learned something today. So thanks for listening to our podcast. Hopefully you understand more today than you did yesterday. And finally, don't be afraid to ask questions. <laughs>